The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Quite a momentous day today, as tonight we know we have the State of the Union Address. So, it's amazing I would be talking about the State of the Union Address, because guess what? It's how I met the guest. I went to the inaugural ball, but I had to go in and, and meet the individual giving me the tickets, and then I met this wonderful woman, and here we go. Now she's on my show today. And let me just say this, Yoshiko Dart, you are going to love this show because it's all about what you care about, children. So what a thing and how exciting it would be to meet such a wonderful person, and that is Toby Gania Fajin Basie. Toby, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Joyce. It's so wonderful to have you. And, Toby, you, when I read your bio, you have a very accomplished career and academic record. Now, what caused you to pursue that career in accounting? Thank you so much, Joyce. Um, I think I fell in love with the cash book when I was 10 years old. I was in my little business studies class, and I saw the teacher draw up the cash book, and I just felt, oh, I like this. There's some sort of order around this. And I, you know, as from then on, I began to really explore what I liked, and I realized that even till today, I like to account for every penny that I earn, and I like people to do the same thing. So it was just a natural thing to look for a career that made me do that, and accounting was just obviously the wonderful choice. Well, as I said, you have a very accomplished career. My question, in Nigeria, how difficult that is for a woman? You know, it's, um, I would say that it's easy and it's also difficult. It depends on what side of the ladder, I, I like to say, that you are born into. For people who are born into, you know, middle class, well, the middle class is disappearing these days, but in middle class and upper class families, it's actually easy for the women, irrespective of their tribe or their religion, to get educated. And we, you know, we're fortunate to have parents who were educated, who are working. But for people, for girls who are born into low-income families, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. It's, um, it's almost impossible for them to get an education or a good one at that, even if the parent tried. Oh, my. Well... I know you're trying to do many things to make a difference. You are the director of the United for Kids Foundation. So first, tell us what that is, and then tell us what caused you to do that, what caused you to co-found this organization. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be talking about United for Kids Foundation today. 
Um, United for Kids Foundation, it's a charity registered in the U.S., also registered in Nigeria, and registered in the United Kingdom. But really, we get money and support from anywhere we can get it. But our sole mission is to bridge the gap between kids in Nigeria who are from middle-class and upper-class families and those kids who are from low-income families. So we receive donations from people all over the world, and we try to provide educational opportunities for children in public schools and children in orphanages, and we also try to reach out in terms of health care and social welfare programs to children living in orphanages and children who we just find are generally disadvantaged. So what caused me to start United for Kids Foundation? I think it was, you know, just like the way I met you, it was just some stroke of luck and some stroke of faith. I had, um, I, there's a program that you do in Nigeria in, after you finish college. It's called the National Youth Service. And it's a one-year kind of community service program. And I was on one of my community service projects. And it just occurred to me that we were sitting in an orphanage. This was in 1999. And, you know, instead of just sitting back and waiting for my time to be up and to go home, I decided to go inside the orphanage to see what was going on in there. And honestly, for me, I think that that was the day I saw another Nigeria entirely. This was like a country I never knew existed. And this is just within a couple of miles from where I grew up. And it just really touched me to see kids who were crying and had no, you know, care, and the whole place was just shabby. And I made a mental note to come back there, but I believe it or not, I didn't go back there until 2001. I was just going on an engagement with my friend, and I passed in front of the orphanage, and I thought, oh, my God, I plan to go back there. So I went back to the orphanage, and it was another life-altering experience. And it's been, you know, talking to friends and uh, talking to people about what can we do, how can we go back. And we went from one orphanage to now supporting six orphanages and 13 public schools and one big hospital in Nigeria. So it's been really fantastic. Oh, that is so wonderful. You know, can you give our listeners an idea visually. I mean, w- when you said you went in there and you said, oh, my goodness, I I didn't realize this is like another Nigeria. What do you mean? What was it like? Okay, so in Nigeria, wh- when I grew up, I grew up with, um, you know, my parents were there. There was a bed to sleep on. There was a car if you needed to go out. And I went to a boarding house. I, you know, my friends, I, I was used to a certain way, which would be like the way that a normal working class family lived. But then I got into this rooms in the orphanage and it was crowded. That was the first shock that I got. The way all these baby cuts so close to, to one another. And I thought, oh my God, how are these people breathing? The room was not well lit. The caregivers were obviously tired, so they were sitting down at the corner of the room, and the babies were crying. And the whole place just seemed so dark and so so bad. And then when I looked at the kids, they were so malnourished. They just looked sick. They didn't look like people that I had seen or people that I thought, you know, were around me in my own state, which is, you know, I lived in Lagos, and I just kind of before then was very naive, thinking everybody was okay. So it was just completely a shocker for me. And these children, how do the majority of these children become orphans? 
And, you know, that was a conversation that I had with the caregivers and a conversation that we continue to have with a lot of the caregivers and the orphanages today. And it's, um, it's a variety of reasons. In fact, we have on some occasions taken kids to some orphanages to be, you know, to be adopted or to be fostered. The kids come, there are so many cases of teenage pregnancies where the children, the, the children, the teenagers, give birth to the children and drop them by the side of the road. And the police or the caregivers would be alerted by some passerby and they would go get the children. And I've also heard of a few cases where people willingly took their children in there for adoption. But most of the time, it's surprising that many of these kids are abandoned children, some who are just left to die. Some of them have been put in bags and kept in refuse dumps and just somebody hearing their cries, bringing them in there. Oh, my goodness. Why? Why do you think that happens? Um, I think it's a, it's a combination of reasons, one of which I think is um, shame that comes with um, having a child out of wedlock in some cultures. And also I think the biggest problem, in my opinion, will be poverty and lack of um, social welfare programs that can take care of this, um, this teenagers or these people who have had children. I remember we had a case um, two years ago of this lady, she was pregnant, and this was her third pregnancy. She was married. She was not even a teenager. She was married. And when she got pregnant for the third time, her husband told her she had to terminate the pregnancy. And she said, no, she couldn't, that, you know, her life was at risk. And he said, we don't have money for this, you know, to take care of this child. And when she refused to terminate the pregnancy, he ran away. And she didn't get any antenatal care all through the pregnancy. She, she got none. And on the day she fell into labor, she was picked up by somebody on the side of the street and taken to the hospital. It turned out she, was, she had twins. Wow. Yes. So she had four children. She had no place to live because her landlord was asking her to pay up or she had to leave. And then her father, who was helping her, also died. He was a security guard earning about $60 a month. So he died, and she was just completely on her own, and there was no assistance from anywhere. And these are the kind of cases that we see. You know, fortunately for her, one of the doctors who gave her care alerted us, and we were able to help her pay her house rent, give her some money to start her business up again, and then we also connected her children with an agency that, you know, is giving them some scholarship. But not all these women are this lucky. There are so many of them out there who have to give up their children just because of poverty. Oh, my goodness. Well, we have a question for you from Cindy in North Dakota. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and the question is, uh, Miss Topi, it's wonderful what you are doing. My question for you is, do you see very many of these children become disadvantaged or alone because of the AIDS crisis in Africa? You know, I think that the AIDS crisis in Africa is real, it exists, but I think that the AIDS crisis is secondary to the issue of lack of education. It's secondary to the issue of malnutrition. It's at least in Nigeria where we work, I feel like these are the biggest um, sources of disadvantage for these kids even, you know, before the AIDS issue. So it's real, it exists, but it's honestly 
perhaps in my on my list would be number three or number four to education and malnutrition. Wow, that's amazing. That is real. Well, that gives you an idea of the uh, malnutrition and the low amount of education for these children that are disadvantaged, as you mentioned. Yes. So, Toby, what type of shock was it for you when you first came to the United States, comparing <laughs> the two cultures? You know, it was, um, luckily for me, I had traveled to all the Western countries, and I also, you know, had a reasonably good life in Nigeria. So it wasn't a big shock, but one of the things that really threw me off was the kind of, um, the difference between the programs that, you know, people who are poor or disadvantaged or disabled in America have versus people in Nigeria who are in the same situation. It's almost as if it's like night and day. And honestly, that was one of the reasons why I decided that I have to rally my friends and we have to do something because I saw the support that poor people and disadvantaged people have in America. It's, it's absolutely different. Is that right? Yes. Well, you know, I think it's absolutely wonderful what you are doing. I really do. And, you know, that just proves my point that one person can make a difference, one person. So, Toby, also, before we go to break, how do people contribute? It's very easy. The best way to contribute is to go to our website, unitedforkidsfoundation.org. That's unitedforkidsfoundation.org. But I always say one thing, that people shouldn't donate until they have been on the mailing list for about three, four months, and they are impressed with what we're doing, and they are sure that this is where they want to put their money in. We want them to be impressed, first of all, to know us before they give us their money. Wow. Too bad everyone doesn't think like that. (laughs) But you know what, though? I think that's good. That just shows you how much passion and how much... Uh, pride you have in what you're doing. So how about companies? Do they also have the ability to make contributions? I'm assuming they do. Absolutely, absolutely. They, they do. We accept donations from individuals and from corporations, and we're able to come in and talk to anybody who has questions about what our plans are. We encourage companies to come and do things, you know, projects like helping to build our libraries, because we want to focus a lot on educating people who are poor. So, you know, this is something that we are trying to encourage companies in Nigeria, in America, and everywhere in the world to come and support. Wow. You know, do you, um, do, do you do very much to speak different places about this? No. <laughs> because you would be a good speaker to talk about this. Uh, well, I'll consider that. Thank you so much. That's a compliment. Well, you know what I mean. More people need to know about this. Yes. That's why I wanted to have you on the radio show because, you know, I mentioned to you that I support children throughout Africa through World Vision, and I write letters, and they write me letters. And I always say, you know, if you can impact and help one child, that's worth it. Even one child. That's worth it. Absolutely. And it's so amazing what you were talking about, uh, that impact the orphanage had on you, because I was talking about Yoshiko Dart earlier, and I know that she and her husband were in um, Vietnam 
This is a long time ago. And they could not believe the squalor that these children with disabilities were living in. And, you know, from all that, here we have Justin Dart, who became one of the greatest civil rights leaders ever. And uh, he's passed away, but his wife is still carrying that torch. And, you know, I always tell people, you will have something happen to you in your life. Yes. And you will have a choice. You can either turn your head or do something about it. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so much, so much better to do something about it. But with that, we're going to get ready to go to break. Hey, if you just joined us, we're talking to Toby Ganea Fanjin Basie about the work she's doing to help children who are disadvantaged. And we'll be right back with Toby. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hoffman Connection for inspiration, a life of passion and purpose. Hosts Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon will bring you ways to remove the blocks in your life that are holding you back. Along with their guest experts, Raz and Ed will use their experience and expertise to help you learn to get closer to what matters to you most. And by doing so, improve your life and the lives of others. The Hoffman Connection can be heard live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show. We're talking to Topi Gania. I had to get her to practice with me. Sanjin Basie, about the work she's doing. She's the co-founder and executive director of United for Kids Foundation, really helping children left out, disadvantaged, uh, in areas such as health, education, in Nigeria. And it's such a wonderful, great 
program that I was really excited to have her on the show. Uh, Topi, how about if you give our listeners an idea of what health care is like for less privileged children? <sighs> wow. You know, um, for even I would like to start that by talking about what health care is like for people who are even privileged. There are so many talented doctors in Nigeria. My mom is a nurse, a retired nurse. So, you know, I have the utmost respect for healthcare professionals in Nigeria. But due to neglect and lack of infrastructure, healthcare for anybody, whether privileged or underprivileged, is ridiculous. I always say something to my friends. I say, you know, just pray that you're never sick because if you're sick, there's just absolutely nothing you can do except, you know, to get a visa and go abroad. However, for the people who are less privileged, it's even a double you know, trouble, because they have to go to government hospitals where there's so much demand and very little supply in terms of medication and infrastructure and doctors, and the doctors are so overworked. And then many of these patients do not even have the money to buy the required medication. Our organization has been visiting one of the largest um, teaching hospitals in Nigeria, which is the Lagos State University Teaching Hospital, since April 2004. We go there every third Saturday of the month unfailingly unless there's a strike. And one of the things that we had to do in addition to giving groceries to people who are on admission, we visit only the pediatrics ward, is to actually reach out to the parents and find out those who cannot afford to buy their medication. And we partnered with two pharmacies around the hospital to pay those pharmacies to give those medications to the, to the uh, patients because it's actually, you know, just a big headache. And we're seeing that the um, illnesses range from easy things that can be fixed with food to things that are due to lack of um, clean water to things that are just due to pure neglect. There's so much that's going on, and many of these diseases that are claiming the lives of innocent children are things that can easily be fixed through education and through proper nutrition. So it's, um, it's a big task, it's a big problem, but we're hoping that we'll continue to work on these issues. Yeah, well, we have a question from a Tom in Florida, and the question is, in, it's funny, you were t- that's why I'm bringing it up, in Nigeria, how difficult do you think it is to be able to make water clean? It isn't difficult. No, I don't think it's difficult at all. However, it's going to take um, a lot of efforts and a lot of education. And it's, you know, I keep talking about education. I don't, I haven't met any mother in 11 years that we've been doing this, or any father for that matter, that wants to, you know, feed their children bad food or wants to give their child bad water. But it's a matter of access, you know, and the issue of water can be solved so easily by constructing pumps and getting the communities to buy into those pump construction. You look at some communities in Nigeria, and the only source of water that they have, it's a stream that is dirty where they take their bath in and they wash their clothes in, and when it's time to, you know, get water, they're also going to the same place. So, you know, if that kind of community were to come together to build a water pump, a borehole, this, is, this can be fixed. We've done this in some schools where we work in Lagos, and I don't think it's a big problem at all. It's just a matter of, you know, getting the will politically, financially to get this done. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know that thing you said is so profound. It's not that someone would want this; it's that yeah. someone is having to deal with it. Absolutely, that's the reality. Now you're talking about the difference, you know, in people of middle class, people of wealth. What is it like? What is it like in Nigeria for these children who are in poverty? Hmm. You know, I, I I just came back from Nigeria on February first, where we had gone to open our fourth library. And I remember telling my sister that, you know, I think that our children's generation are going to have a huge problem. It's not going to be armed robbers that will chase them away from the country. It's going to be assassins if we don't do something. Because I look at my family, I look at my sister, where we'll get up in the morning, we, uh, we live in a house that has gates, you know, the security, we have cars that function. Our kids know this, you know, they know that if there's no lights, there's no power, they can put on the generator. Then in the morning, we go drop them in their private school. They, they're very happy. They're learning good things. And just a mile down the road, where we opened our fourth library, there are kids who have no school uniforms. When I was in Nigeria in um, January, we were there trying to open the library, and the kids were peeping in there. And I just realized there were these three kids who are siblings, by the way, a set of twins and one. And they had no uniform, no school uniform. And I asked, you know, the head teacher, how much does a set of school uniform cost? It cost the equivalent of less than $7. And, of course, we were able to buy that for the kids. But can you imagine a child who is already going to a school that is reserved for the housemaids and the children of the beggars, and then that child in that school has no school uniform. Look at the psychology of that child growing up. And the child is trying to trek home after school and is seeing our own children, our friends' children, in nice luxury cars. And, you know, it's just, honestly, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that is, that is quite a disparity that you're seeing. Yeah. Well, hey, we're going to go to break uh, so that we can come back with, and go over some other great things going on. But if you just joined us, wow, what a great show. We're talking about the United for Kids Foundation with Topi. Such a wonderful project. And if you're listening to the show, make sure you tell other people you know you can download this from here or from iTunes. Um, and, hey, it's worth it. This is Joyce Bender. America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grumberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. 
Ever wondered what private investigators really do and how they go about solving cases? Each week, P.I.'s Declassified gives a glimpse into this little-known world. Join your host, Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator, in conversations with detectives and experts in the field. False confessions, forensic evidence, finding missing persons, exposing fraud, exonerating the innocent. All areas that Francie and her guests will cover, and have they got stories to tell. Tune in and call in to the live show Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on Voice America Variety. We all face some economic uncertainty in our life. What makes the difference is how we take command of that and survive. Tune in to Strategies for Financial Survival with host Michael Figueroa. Michael has been up and down the road to success several times, and along with his guests, will share the skills of survival. By assessing your strengths and skills and applying them to your future, you can make it through tough times, regardless of your field. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show. We are talking to Topi, who is the co-founder and executive director for a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful program, and that program is United for Kids Foundation. And before we go on, I think we have a caller on the line. Caller, go ahead. Hi, Joyce. My name is Adetun. Um, I stay in New York, and I'm Nigerian like Tokwe. I just want to make a comment, and um, that is I want to appreciate Tokwe and her team for their efforts and good cause. Um, I also want to use this opportunity to reach out to everybody out there to start thinking about helping the less privileged and to support Tokwe's cause. Oh, well, that is wonderful, wonderful that you called in, and I could not agree more because I always tell people in this world, Mm -hmm. if you're thinking properly, you know Mm -hmm. that everyone is your brother and sister, um, and and you should remember that when it's time to give and give back. So thank you so much for calling in. Yeah, thank you, too. All right. Toby, did you want to say anything? Oh, I want to thank her. I'm really, you know, grateful, and I'm just, I was listening to her really speechless. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling. Have a good day. Um, And, you know, isn't that great? That is just awesome. So, Topi, I know our listeners would like to have an example. Could you give us an example of, in your opinion, what is one of your greatest success stories? You know, um... There's an example that I wouldn't have had, you know, last month. But this is a case of a boy. He's 15 years old. And honestly, I'm going to pray that he listens to this show one day and he hears me talking about him. His name is Ezra, and he's 15 years old in what we would call fourth grade in America, in primary four in Nigeria. And I remember last year I was reading one of the reports from our staff, our wonderful, wonderful staff in Nigeria, and one of the um, reports said, there's a kid, Ezra, he's 15 years old, and he cannot read. And I replied back to the staff. I said, can you ask the head teacher how come he's in fourth grade and he cannot read? Because I didn't understand. And she came back and she said, oh, you know, he's obedient and quiet. And I thought, oh, my God, what are we going to do with the child that cannot read? We have 
absolutely no medical knowledge. We don't know whether he has a learning disability. We have no idea. And we just didn't know what to do, but we just knew that if he came up and he said to us that he wanted to learn how to read, we have a duty to help him. And so we got some books through First Book USA here. They are stepping to reading books. And we, you know, our staff started to help him spend extra time with him. And when I went to Nigeria in January, I actually met him. And he speaks better than last year. He reads, he now reads, even though not at the fourth grade level, but he's reading. And for me, honestly, that was the highlight of my trip. And it has to be one of the best 10 things that has happened since we've been doing this for 11 years. Oh, that is wonderful. And you know what? There is no price tag you can put on something like that, is there? No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, I know. I know how you feel about that. But now I have to uh, move to my world, which is the world of disabilities. And what I wanted to ask you, Toby, is what is it like? What is it like for children with disabilities living in Nigeria? As you know, here in the United States, not all but the majority of children with disabilities have access to uh, assistive technology, wheelchairs, software for the blind. What, what is it like for children with disabilities in Nigeria? You know, I'm going to start from children with no disabilities. And I'm going to say even those children have disadvantages. Even those ones who their parents think it should be easy find it difficult. Now, can you imagine those children who have disabilities, and I want to look at it from two angles. The first angle is from the angle of people who have children with disabilities but who are in the middle class or in the upper class. I have a friend who has a child who is autistic, and I'm, so, I'm personally frustrated because I don't see any way for her to get her child to get a better life. It's almost non-existent. There's no... There's absolutely no program. There's no process. She has tried everything within her means, and she's not poor. Now, that's for children, you know, from the upper middle class. Then when we're talking about the kids who are from the lower class, it's even it's worse. We work with an orphanage called Hats of Gold Hospice, where children, this is a hospice for children, but there are also children who have disabilities who are there. And this home, I have to give a shout-out to the person who founded his home. She's, she's a private individual. She opened up her house, and she's been working hard to help the children. She's trying. She's getting help from so many people. But these are some of the things that I know that individuals are doing, but I don't see any kind of government programs. In America, when you have a child that has a disability, whether physical, whether mental, whether learning, there's, there's a system in place. But we don't have that in Nigeria, and that's where we need to go. We, last week we heard about a case of a child in one of our new libraries who is she's 15 years old and she cannot read. Not only can she not read, she, she also has some coordination issues physically. And I have honestly been staring at that case since last week, not knowing what to do because there's no agency to contact. There's no social services. There's, there's nothing for her. We have to figure out how we can get somebody to diagnose her and see if we can help her. But these are the kind of, you know, frustrations that we have out there. Yes, and you know what? I Just as you said, if you're disadvantaged in poverty, it's terrible to begin with. Yes. Now add to that, don't have a wheelchair. 
And some of these children, I'm sure, end up uh, really without anything other than begging. I don't know what else they could do. Uh, absolutely nothing. And, you know, many of these kids are abused because, you know, they cannot. There's a child, I remember this child um, last year when we opened the libraries up in January. This child, he obviously has some sort of disability, not physical. And again, you know, if a child has physical disability, then people on the street can say, oh, you know, her leg isn't good, whatever. But I think it's even tougher for those who have non-physical disabilities, who have mental disabilities. It's even, you know, worse for people who have, you know, some sort of attacks that are not frequent. And I remember this child who we called the mother, our staff called the mother in to ask, you know, why are they not doing anything about the fact that she's not reading? And they said, and the mother said, you know, I don't know what to do. She's one of four children, and the other three children can read. Wow. So it's, uh, look, they just signed off on her case without even trying. Wow, wow, wow. Well, you know, for example, if you would be blind or deaf, imagine if you're in poverty, what would happen? <laughs> Oh, I, I be, can't even imagine what would happen. <laughs> you, you, unfortunately, it's, it's frustrating because a child who is blind or who is deaf in Nigeria would probably be in one of the homes, government homes that are for disabled children and mm-hmm. have a life that is just going downhill unless people like you, like me, come up with programs and come up with some sort of help for these children. There's really absolutely no hope. Right. There isn't anything you could do. I mean, again, I've seen pictures of children in different countries, and it is, you know, when they don't have, if they're already poor, and then if you have blind or, uh, you know, paralyzed, whatever it is, it's just terrible. It really is. It's terrible. Okay, I think we have uh, another caller on the line right now. You know what? If you hold on, I, I'm going to... Come right back to you, so just hold on, and we're going to go to break. I'll be right back. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Racism. Healing. Oneness of humankind. It is time to join millions of people all over the world who openly talk about racial healing. Some of us are not sure how to tread when discussing race and culture. Until now. Tune in to A Safe Place to Talk About Race with host Sharon E. Davis. Engage with experts and notables. Have a question but are not sure how to ask it? Test it out with our show. 
It's a safe harbor to explore views and situations that we face every day. A Safe Place to Talk About Race airs live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show. Sorry about that, but we are back on track here. We have with us Topi Gania Fanjinbasi talking about um, a wonderful work she's doing in Nigeria. I know that we had someone trying to call in, so if you're listening now, go ahead and call in. The lines are open, and we'll be able to get you through. Uh, but while I'm talking to you, uh, Topi, and I so much appreciate all the great work that you are doing, uh, but I wanted to, you were talking about children with disabilities, and by the way, anyone listening to the show, if you want to make a difference, remember what you have to do, donate. What is that website again, Topi? UnitedForKidsFoundation.org. Okay. So something inspired, someone inspired you. Because you are such a remarkable woman. So tell me, Toby, who is your role model? Well, I've got a couple. And I always uh, think that there's always somebody to learn from. But I think that my biggest role model will be my mom. You know, I've always learned from her to give, to care, to be compassionate. But beyond my mom, there are also some people who I look up to. One of those I met last night, fortunately, Mr. John Wood, the founder of Room to Read, he, his book inspired the UKF libraries that we have in Lagos right now. And in my own circles, I definitely greatly, greatly admire the vice chairman of UKF, Mrs. Adiswa Ladoja. She's a remarkable woman. She has been there from the beginning of United for Kids Foundation, and there's hardly anything that you know I do in the foundation work that I don't consult with her first because I think that her heart is just absolutely in the right place. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, listen, we have another caller on the line um, from London. We have Tolu on the line. Tolu, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, Joyce. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for calling in. I'm really enjoying the program you're having today. It's my first time listening. Well, good. Keep listening. Yeah, I will. Okay. <laughs> I definitely will. Do you have a question or comment for Toby? Yes. Um, I would like to thank her and her team for all the work that they've been doing in Nigeria. But I would like to find out what, you know, when people talk about charities, they wonder if all the money they are donating goes to a few people's pockets. How is UKF ensuring that all the money they get from donations doesn't just end up in a few people's pockets and not actually used for the real work? Go ahead, Toby. Oh, fantastic question, and I'm very happy that she asked that question. Thank you very much for calling, Tolu. And um, the thing about United for Kids Foundation that people need to know is that we are completely, completely managed by volunteers. I'm a volunteer, and when I talk about my title, I say I'm the volunteer executive director, meaning that I don't get paid a penny for doing this work. 
I have a full-time job. I'm a CPA. And the rest of my colleagues, the rest of the board members are also volunteers. So we don't get paid anything. We have got field staff in Nigeria who work in our libraries, who work in the hospitals for us. Those get paid. But the rest of us, if anything, put our money in there. You know, nonprofits have such a bad reputation in Nigeria. And when people, when I tell people that, oh, you know, when they ask me, what do you do when I say I, I run a nonprofit, they say, oh, my God, you must have, you know, keeping, you, you must be keeping some money in your pocket somewhere. But I, I, they're very shocked, and many people don't believe that we don't earn a penny. So we make sure that when donors give us their money, every single cent is used for the work that we have told them that we'll use it for. So we don't get paid anything. Wow. That's wonderful. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. That's impressive. And, you know, it's really good that she, she said that out, and um, everybody hopefully knows, and um, they're encouraged to keep on supporting the organization. Yes, that's right. We want to do that. And also, thank you for calling in. Yeah, thank you, Joyce. Okay, you have a good day. You too. Okay, and I think we have another caller on the line from Atlanta. Go ahead, caller. Hello? Hello? Yes, hello? 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 Go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, this is Ikedi. I'm calling from Atlanta. Uh, I just wanted to call and uh, thank uh, Toby and uh, the entire UK um, organization for what they're doing for children in Nigeria. It is almost impossible when um, <clears throat> you talk about healthcare care uh, issues in Nigeria without sounding like you're trying to bash the government. Um, uh, but I really commend the good work they're doing, and um, um, every support anyone can give them, uh, they totally deserve it. So I just want to call and thank them and then thank um, Voice of America for giving them the opportunity to tell the world what they are doing in Nigeria. My pleasure. It's so important. Topi, do you have a comment? I want to thank EKB very much for calling in and for the kind words. You know, we... We are only doing this because we have the support of people like him and every other supporter out there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tommy. Thank Bye-bye. you very much. Right. Okay, we got our caller back that we'd lost. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Bosadi, is that right? Probably yep. not. Is that right? Yeah. That's a miracle right there. <laughs> hey, thanks for calling in. You're on the air live. Do you have a question or a comment? Yes, I do. Go right ahead. Hello? Hello, you're on the air. Yeah, I have a question. My question is uh, I just want to ask um, UKF if they have um, there's a kind of enough advert, like they have advert to other people to know that there are things like that going on in Nigeria because we have a lot of less privileged people that have disabled children. So I was just wondering if they have enough advert out there to let them know, and again, to ask if I can get their email or their information on how to get involved in this program. Therapy? Yes, thank you so much. We, um, we currently do not advertise, but our website and our Facebook pages are the sort of advertisements that we have out there. We, um, we work only with public schools in Nigeria, and public hospitals and public orphanages, except for the private orphanage, which is the hospice. So, you know, those people, in fact, know and tell people, for example, in the hospital, they, you know, when the patient comes and they have this 
horrible conditions and they don't have money to pay for their procedures, they tell them wait till the third Saturday. The UKF people will be there. But, you know, we encourage people to please come on our website. It's unitedforkidsfoundation.org. And to look us up on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash unitedforkids, and leave your comments and let us know where you are if you're in the USA We have a program coming up on March 2nd where we encourage people to be out there, to come out to Washington, D.C., to support us, to hear about our challenges and what we do, and to see how you can get on board this train as well. And uh, my next question is that, you know, like what I'm saying is we have some people in Nigeria that don't even have access to even TV. Yes. You know, or, or radio or Facebook. So how do you get, like, and they need this, they need you guys, maybe, like, in the rural areas. How do you get them informed that you have such thing, like, such program going on? It's uh, once we get into a school, or we, yeah. we don't have our own schools or our own orphanages. We'll go to an existing school. And once we get there, every child that is in that school would benefit from our programs. So we need to expand. There's so many. We are currently taking care of maybe 20,000 children. Um, or so, and that's over four or so years. But we need to get more. There are, so, there are millions of children who need us, but the, this, in, this takes a lot of logistics, takes a lot of finance, and it takes a lot of coordination. If you, you sound like you're Nigerian, so you probably know that to do this kind of thing in Nigeria and to keep your integrity intact, you have to, you know, you have to expand with tact and with care. Otherwise, you would you know, get your money in the hands of the wrong people and you might crash. So we're doing this gradually, slowly, but we hope that people are listening to us today. I'm very happy that there are millions of people listening to this show, and they want to support an organization that takes care of direct issues. So if as much money as we get, we will be out there working in all the rural areas, urban areas, anywhere where the children in us will be there. Okay, thank you so much, and thank really you for calling in. Goodbye. Okay, we have one more caller on the line that I can take. Uh, oh, I can't pronounce this, I know. Rukayak, are you on the line? Yes, hello. Hi, how do you pronounce your name? It's rightly pronounced, it's Rukayak. Ruk- oh, that's a miracle. Okay, do you have a question? You're on the air. Um, you know, I just um, want um, Tokwa to highlight the various um, progress that they've made in the course of starting UKF and the milestones that they've been able to cross since they started UKF in order for those of us who are interested in participating to be a bit more encouraged um, to um, becoming part of your team. Toby? Yeah, great question, great question. When we started UKF in 2002, our donation that year, the total donations we had was $14. And um, in 2012, we had about $150,000. So, and this is just being volunteers, just, you know, talk talking to people in our network. And now that we are even expanding beyond our network, who knows how much we're going to, you know, come in with this year. So in terms of revenue, we've been able to do that. And even in terms of coverage, we started with one orphanage in 2002. Now, like I said, we're supporting 13 public schools and um, one public hospital and 
six orphanages, altogether about 20 facilities, and we're covering an average of five to 6,000 children every year. So wow, wonderful. It's, it's, um, it's amazing. They, one good thing that I've realized about people is that once they can trust you, once they know out there that you, you're going to use their money for what you said you're going to use it for, they keep giving and they keep coming out to volunteer. So that's... Oh, perfect. Wonderful. Good job. Well, thank hey, you. thank you for calling in also. Thank you. Okay, well, you've had so many guests calling in here, uh, Topi, that we don't have a lot of time till the end of the show, so I have to ask you the last question, which is, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? You know, the message I'd like to leave with the listeners is to encourage everybody who is listening to live your life on purpose. You're just not one of the six billion people that was, you know, created to fill the space in the world. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a calling. You're not here by accident. And your biggest calling is to help somebody else. And when you're helping somebody else, you're helping yourself. And, you know, you don't have to – not everybody's going to start a United for Kids Foundation. You can support existing organizations out there. But whatever you do, don't sit still. Don't stand still. Don't leave your life just waking up and sleeping. Find your purpose and support it. Wow. Now that is what I call a great – message. Before we end the show, uh, Topi, you want to give everyone again that website? Thank you so much. The website is unitedforkidsfoundation.org. Unitedforkidsfoundation.org, all one word. And you can find us on Twitter at United for Kids and the same name on Facebook, United for Kids. We look forward to hearing from you. Okay, so on Twitter, you're United for Kids. Yes. And on Facebook, you're United for Kids. Yes. Okay, that is great. Well, we got to get ready to close the show, but we end every show with a quote by someone we believe has made a difference in this world. And today the quote is, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others, said Mahatma Gandhi. And boy, are those words true. Thank you so much for being with us, Toby. Thank you so much for having me, Joyce. And we're going to get ready to talk to you again next week on Disability Matters. This is Joyce Bender at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader in Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.